When I walked in this morning, I was like, wow, we got a full house. I guess COVID's over. So good. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad we made it through the Great Tribulation? And on the other side, Lord help us. What a tough two and a half years it's been for pastors, man. That's all I've been doing. For I, Fortunately, I'm not a pastor. I'm a friend of pastors. And uh, so I, I do this for a living. I go in and encourage men and women uh, that are in ministry and their, their congregations. And I get to come and then I get to go. And uh, I have just seen uh, so many pastors just step up and lead through uh, what is a difficult time of people just being all over the place on, you know, what they believe and what's right and what isn't, and pastors having to lead uh, from the middle of that. And so I'm just so proud of uh, Joel and Jamie and the team here and the leadership and Pastor uh, John and Ingrid also. Uh, it's been beautiful from afar as a friend to see the transition and how God has blessed it. And I am just uh, thrilled to be back in Canada. Couldn't come back here for a long time and uh, wouldn't, wouldn't let me in. So uh, I'm glad to be back. And I'm still, uh, you know, I've, I've been in, uh, you know, U U.S. of A. for 35, almost 40 years. Man, I'm still Canadian. Still a Canadian. Haven't given up the citizenship. Haven't got U.S. citizenship. Still an alien. Alien resident. Going to be one forever. Never going to take the pledge. I'm st sticking with Canada. Sticking with Canada. And uh, mainly because of hockey. Best sport... <laughs> Best sport ever, right? Had a lot of Americans challenge me on that, tell me, no, the NFL, football's the best sport. Not, not even close. They said, no, football's a tough sport. We're the tough guys. We tackle and we block. I said, well, you haven't watched hockey. <laughs> hockey, we have weapons in our hands. You don't have weapons in your hands in football. We, we got a stick. We got blades. We got... We got stuff. And, and I said, I'll prove it to you. You get in a fight in football on the field, you're suspended for like seven or eight games. Get in a fight in hockey, five minutes. Five minutes. And it's not even a penalty. It's just like rest. Rest. It's hard. Come back. Get in another one. So that's all I'll say about that. If you're an American here uh, this morning, I apologize for so offending you. All right. So it is good to be here. Uh, just a little bit of background. We, uh, uh, my wife Lori and I, I wish she could have been here uh, this, this weekend, but just everything that's going on in our world right now, we're building, as, as Joel said, uh, uh, a new facility for ministers, marriages, and men uh, that are in crisis, uh, that are in brokenness. It's, it's called House of Resurrection. I'll share maybe a little bit about that later. We're also, uh, we just moved out of a house. We're living in our, we're living with our, our daughter, who fortunately has a home. And, uh, and so we're upstairs, and Lori is in the process of kind of remodeling a house that we bought. So she is just super, super swamp right now. But she said to send her love. She's been here before, loves you guys. And uh, we, uh, we've been married now almost nine years. Uh, anyone not married yet? Anyone not married in here? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. All right. All right, great. Look around, singles. All right. Look around, just get an eyeball. I saw some of you singles worshiping this morning. You ever notice how singles worship? They kind of like just looking around, just like, Lord, who, who are you leading me to? And 
So uh, I'll just give some of you that are, that are preparing maybe for marriage down the road. Uh, as I said, Lori and I got married nine years ago. We made the, the best decision, the, the, the best commitment that has kept us fight-free, kept us in harmony and love and unity, and we made this covenant together. So uh, on our marriage uh, day and our marriage vows, uh, one of our vows was, uh, I will make all the major decisions in our, in our marriage, all right? And then she will make all the minor decisions in our marriage. Sounds weird, I know, but it's worked out perfectly. And so far, we have not had one major decision. That's what she has told me, yes. So it's beautiful, beautiful. So I really prayed over what I should share with you this morning because I, I don't take this lightly. Uh, to get up and declare the word of the Lord to any group of people is an awesome responsibility. And I, and I do so with incredible humility and incredible gratitude uh, and knowing that God has used all kinds of things and people to declare his word. And it's not about the thing or the person. He's used burning bushes. He's used donkeys. He's used sinners. He's used broken people. He's used healed people. Like, so it's, it's really a humbling thing. Uh, and I'm well aware that, you know, probably most of you could come up and share something that is a word from the Lord this morning, because we all have got something to give to this community and something to share that God's done in our life and a story, a testimony, a, you know, a word. So, so I, I, I come with, with just great humility and with uh, a sense of, Lord, I, I, I don't want to just deliver like a message, you know, like something that's in my back pocket or something that I've preached before or something that I, I know really well. I really want a message to come from the Holy Spirit to you this morning. And I feel like, I feel like that is the case. So I thought about uh, a passage that I read not long ago. And as I read this passage, I've read it before, but I've never read it in the light that I read it. It's a, it's a pretty common passage. You've probably heard of the story before. But as I read this, the Lord, uh, the Lord just spoke to me and said, Blaine, you, you will have to answer two questions in your life if you are going to live into all of my goodness and all that I have for you. And, and in fact, he said, every human being will have to answer these two questions. And so I'm going to share those two questions with you. And I wonder this morning if you've confronted these questions. I wonder if you've had uh, the courage to, to ask them of, of yourselves and, and then and then the courage to actually answer them. But I'm going to begin with a story. I have seen so many lives in, in nearly 40 years of uh, ministry, nearly, actually, yeah, more than 40 years of ministry. So many lives that grew up in dysfunction, uh, rejection, hurt, pain, abuse, that have crashed and burned and never recovered. And it's one of the most disheartening things that you can ever experience as a, as a pastor or a shepherd, somebody that is trying to see healing and hope and life 
come into two broken, broken people. But then there was this guy, and he was a unique young man. I was a youth pastor. This is like 20, 20 plus years ago. And he came into my youth group, and he was 13 years of age. And he was one of the most broken, like, misfits in a youth group that you've ever seen. We didn't have a large youth group. We had about 30, 40 kids, and his name was Hugh. And Hugh came from a broken home. His dad had uh, been very physical and very violent in the home. At a very young age, he left the, the, ham, the family, left his, his, Hugh's mother, and, uh, and Hugh honestly was glad that his dad left but basically raised without a father. And then his mom, because of all the abuse, had become an alcoholic. And it was, it was really awful. Uh, his home life was a complete train wreck. But somehow, Hugh would come to our youth group every Wednesday night, faithfully, never miss. But he was weird. <laughs> and so he was, like, always over the top. And, you know, just had way too much energy and had trouble carrying on good social conversations. He was what we call a close talker, like would get that close to you and just talk to you real close and, and, and wouldn't quit. Like he, he didn't understand, you know, you have to allow people to respond to what you say. Like he just was just nonstop. And so because of that, over time, you know, young people are kind of immature and they don't, you know... So the, the rest of the kids kind of over time just began to avoid Hugh, you know, for, for reasons that you would understand, like it was just too much. And so he would gravitate to me because I was the youth pastor, and part of my job was to like young people. And so I had to like him. It was in my job description. So... I would spend time with you. I would listen to his stuff. And I had, I had different ways of, you know, maneuvering to get with other kids and, you know, uh, to, to, to get out of conversations. But I would, I would spend time with him every week. And, and, and yet I could see him growing. And, and I could see him hungering and thirsting for Jesus. And I could see him asking good questions. And, and he was reading his Bible, and he's praying, and he'd worship. And, and, uh, and I remember one day after about two years of him being in our youth group, he walked up to me after, and he said, Pastor Blaine, can I tell you something? He said, I was praying this week. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Hugh, you are going to be president of the United States of America one day. So he shared that with me, and he said, Pastor Blaine, what do you think? <laughs> so my immediate thought was, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, there's just no way. And so I'm perplexed because I don't want to lead him on and have him thinking that's an actual, you know, possibility. And, and yet I don't want to just crash his dreams either. And I really don't know what to do. And so I did what all pastors do when somebody comes to them in the lobby or somewhere with a question that they can't answer. I said, let's pray about it. Let's just pray. When a pastor says, let's pray, he doesn't have a clue.
But it's a good response. Because when you don't have a clue, you go to the one that has all the clues. So, so I grabbed Hugh's hand and I said, Lord Jesus, pray for Hugh. Lord, he wants to be a great leader. And, and Lord, he's got all this passion. And I'm so grateful for that. And Lord, if you've called Hugh to be president of the United States one day, then we believe that all things are possible, even if they're highly unlikely. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he was thrilled with that prayer because he believed all things were possible. And he hugged me and he went on his way and, of course, he kept coming week after week. And I saw him grow and I saw God doing the work in his life. But but I moved about a year later. He was still about 14, still Hugh. And I, I moved to another state and I was gone for, from, that, from that community for probably uh, seven or eight years. And when I got back and I was living in that city again, I was in a mall and up walked this strapping young man. And he looked at me and he said, hey, <laughs> you're Blaine Bartell. And I said, hey, yeah, who are you? He said, I'm Hugh. And I didn't know who he was. I really didn't. I, couldn't, I didn't remember. And he, I said, well, Hugh, who? Like, well, how do I know you? Blaine. He said, I'm Hugh, you know, and, and I figured it out. And I was like, oh, my goodness, he had confidence. He, he, he was, you know, carried himself well. He had, he had found social graces. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like curious, like, what has happened to you? You know, what's going on? What are you doing? And he said, well, he said, I'm going to Tulsa University. Uh, I'm getting my law degree. I'm just about to graduate. And he said, I'm the president of the student body. And then he said, uh, I'm also uh, the, the president of the Young Republicans Party for the state of Oklahoma, which is all we have in Oklahoma is Republicans. Like, that's, that's the only party we really have. It's a unique state. And, and then he said, uh, he said that I'm on my way after I graduate to Washington, and I've been asked by one of our senators to be an intern for two years. And then he looked at me and he said, Blaine, I think I told you. You know, I, I'm on my way to becoming president one day of the United States. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. I said, bro. I've, I've believed in you all the way, man. Like, we need to stay in touch. Like, and we do, you know? And so today, he's got one of the largest law firms in Tulsa, specializes in helping the disadvantaged and those that are poor and can't afford good representation in legitimate cases. Makes a pile of money on the side with the rich people, but that's what he specializes in. Will he, there's a chance, become president? But here's what I'm more interested in. I'm interested in knowing how does a man, a young man like that, who is so disadvantaged, so broken, dysfunctional, rejection, hurt in his life, come out of that into a resurrected life? And I believe that Hugh dared to answer these two questions. And if we can answer these two questions, there is absolutely no limit to what God can do in our life. So we read in Genesis 16. It's a beautiful story. 
but an interesting story. And this is how it begins in verse number one. It says, now Sarah, or Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So this Abram, Sarah, they have no kids. They're, they're you know, late age, uh, by this time probably in their 80s, close to 90. But it says she had, Sarah, had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So this was pretty common in this day. So she had this slave. This, this Hagar was a, uh, probably a, a, a teenage Egyptian or African slave that was, you know, indentured to specifically to, to Sarah. And so she said to Abram, listen to this, the Lord has kept me from having children. So he, she tells him, go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now that sounds weird, right? Sounds crazy in our culture, but that was kind of, in some, you know, respects in that day, that was kind of a cultural thing. They didn't have, you know, you know, the infertility drugs and things that we have today and the science that we have today. So that was, that was not necessarily an uncommon thing. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. It's like, like his other wife. Interesting, right? And so he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. So the story's getting crazier and crazier. Now look what happened. When she knew she was pregnant, now this is speaking of Sarah, when Sarah knew that Hagar had become pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So now Sarah is not happy about this. What she wanted has happened. Hagar is pregnant through Abram, but now she's mad about it. And, and so she says, may the Lord judge between you and me, Hagar. And then it says, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. So Abram comes in. He says, listen, this is your slave. You own this person. You can do whatever you want with, with this person. He says, do whatever you think is best. So Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. That word mistreated was just, she, she acted cruelly. We don't know what that cruelty looked like, whether it was physical, emotional, or, or all of the above. But it was so bad that this slave Hagar ran. And slaves never ran. They never left because there was nowhere to go. And if they got caught, they would suffer the death penalty. So it had to be an awful, awful situation for Hagar to run. And so Hagar runs away. And as Hagar runs away, we get to verse 7. It says, and the angel of the Lord found Hagar. I love that. Did you know that when we run, that when we've been mistreated, that when we've been hurt, that when we've been forced into things that we didn't even ask for, that when we've been enslaved to things that we didn't want to be enslaved to, did you know the Lord has this ability to find you? Someone says, I found the Lord 10 years. No, you didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. 
You know, the only parable that Jesus told uh, three times in a row was the parable of the lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. He wanted to make sure we understood he's the one doing the finding. And he wanted to make sure we all understood no matter where you are, he will find you. I love the sheep because the sheep, the lost sheep, he's lost or she's lost and they don't know how to get home. They're like, where's the, where's the flock? I'm lost. You know how a sheep is. And the shepherd comes and says, I'll find you. When you're lost and don't know how to get home, don't know how to find your way, Jesus will come rescue you. And then there's the lost son who is uh, lost because he wants to be lost. You ever done that? You ever just got lost? You ever just said, I'm done with the church? I'm done with God, done with Jesus? Just walk away, take your stuff, and leave? The Lord loves you enough, gives you enough of your own free agency and will to let you figure it out. And when he sees you coming back, he runs to meet you and welcomes you right back in to his family. No questions asked. And then there's the other loss, and some of you have experienced this lostness. It's the lost coin. And this is the most interesting of all the lostness. Because the lost coin is in a house somewhere, and it's somewhere hidden under a cushion or behind a lamp or, you know, you know under the bed. And, and it says this woman with a flashlight goes all over the room trying to find the lost coin. And finally she finds it. And the coin doesn't even know it's lost. It's a coin. It's just like, oh, I'm lost. Light, yes. And why does he find you? Because you're valuable. Because you have something to give that is valuable to this world. And sometimes God just shows up with a light in our life and says, you didn't even know you were messed up. You didn't even know you're lost, but I'm still coming after you. So we found Hagar. This angel, it's the first time an angel's ever encountered a human being outside of the Garden of Eden in Scripture. And this angel encounters Hagar near a spring in the desert. She was a long ways off. It was a spring beside the road to Shur, and the angel said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? Our life continuum basically has three parts. So we have past, we have present, and we have future. Isn't that right? So we all have a past, and that's very real. Even though it's not present, it's still real to us. And real things happened in our past that have affected our present. And then we have today, we have present, and then we have future. And Jesus and the Father and Holy Spirit are concerned about all three. That's why we read in uh, Joel... Uh, quoted it earlier in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. Jesus Christ, the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus wants to be present in our yesterdays, our, our todays, and our forevers. Past, present, and tomorrow. So there's a reason why the angel said, where have you been? Where have you been? Take me back. Where did you come from? What's going on? What has happened in your life? Because Jesus cares about your past. And your past obviously affects your present. You know, when Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, 
you know, the disciples said, how should we pray? First of all, I am super glad that when Jesus said, okay, this is, this is a great model for prayer, I am super glad it's one that has a short attention span and isn't really like the super spiritual man that I always want to be. I am super thrilled that the Lord's Prayer is 29 seconds. I just kind of love that. That when he taught us to pray, he didn't necessarily say we have to pray three hours to make God happy. That, that we could pray sometimes a very simple prayer. A prayer like the Lord's Prayer. And I love how the Lord's Prayer covers our, our past and our present and our future. Covers our past. Lord, forgive our sins as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. Past issues. And then he covers our present. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He said, I want to be your present. And then he covers our future. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come into this present, into this future. God cares about all three parts of your life. So the first question we have to answer is, where have we come from? What's going on? What's happened in our life? What, what do we need to understand about our past that is important for our present and our, and our future? It's interesting. Jesus had a, basically a manifesto. Uh, I call it the Luke 4 Jesus manifesto. It happened in, of course, Luke 4. And, uh, and, and understand, this is like the first time. This is right out of the wilderness. Jesus has uh, spent... 40, 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, preparing his soul, preparing his heart for, for his ministry. He's like 30 years of age. He comes out of the wilderness, hasn't started this ministry, comes into a synagogue, and in the synagogue, he begins to unravel the scroll of Isaiah, and he proclaims what he's there to do. This is like God coming on the scene for the first time in several thousand years and saying, okay, this is what I'm here for. And I find it interesting that when he showed up, he didn't start going down through the checklist of humanity and say, you guys have all messed up. You guys, you, you, you've been murdering, you've been stealing, you've been committing adultery, you've been lying. I mean, you are a messed up world and I'm coming to straighten you out. He didn't do that. He came and this is what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And let me tell you why. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of Jubilee. So he said, I have come to heal you of past brokenness. I've come to heal you of, of areas that you need restored and resurrected in your life. And then he's, he said, I, I've come to bring freedom and liberty. I, I want you to enjoy my present goodness and grace. And then he said, I want, I want the blind to see, so I want to give you a vision of what's to come. And then he said, I want to give you jubilee, this year of jubilee, which is future favor. He covers it all. He said, I am going to help you, and I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to free you in your past, in your present, and in your future. You're going to be a fully present, fully delivered and free human being through my blood. But we have to ask, where did we come from? What are we still fighting? What is still warring in our mind? What is still holding us back from living in the present or believing that God has a future for us? So some of you know my story, but 12 years ago, I, I had a breakdown of massive proportions, and it was all of my own doing. 
I uh, had struggled secretly as a, just a man and a, and a Christian and a, and a minister with uh, a, uh, an addiction, and, uh, or call it a stronghold if you want to get super biblical, uh, a stronghold that I, I could not get free from. And I wanted to. I tried. I fasted. I prayed. I did everything I could. But I just kept fighting it. I'd have periods of freedom. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And then bang, fall again. Seasons where I'd do well and then right back. But in the end, after 23 years, it was pretty much like just it had taken over my life. And finally, by God's grace, God sh- you know, shone the light on this area, this secret, this private struggle in my life. And it, it came to light. It came to light in my family and in my church and, and with my, fr- my friends. And, and so it was revealed that I had been fighting this, this addiction to pornography and sexual sin and lust. And it was awful. It, th- there was so much destruction that it brought into our world, not just my world, but my family's world, our, our church world. And through the next year, this was, like I said, 12 years ago, through the next year of my life, I literally lost everything. I lost my marriage, lost relationship with my three boys. They didn't want anything to do with me. I lost, of course, my church and ministry, financial devastation, foreclosure on house, bank account drained. I mean, just everything was gone. And, and, and honestly, at the time, and even now, it was like, well, yeah, you know, I felt like I deserved all of that. I didn't, sure didn't think my family deserved it, you know, the pain that I caused, the hurt that I brought. But I felt like I did. And I remember coming out of that first year of devastation and wondering, you know, if there was any hope for, for a future in my life. And the Lord began to deal with me about my past. And he began to ask me that question where have you come from? Where did this come from? We, we sin, we make bad choices, we make bad decisions often, not just because we want to be bad. In fact, I, I, I truly believe that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. I truly believe that he came to make dead people alive people that have just found death in their life, destruction in their life that has overtaken them. And certainly our choices have something to do with that. But I think it came to a a culmination for me when I was sitting in a room with a a very gifted counselor. This, This counselor was specialized in addiction recovery and was a lot of money uh, to to book time with him. But I, I needed help. And so I'm sitting, you know, in one of our sessions, one of many, and he pushes a piece of paper across the desk or the table, and he says, Blaine, I want you to draw an egg on this piece of paper. And so I took my felt marker and drew an egg. And he said, now I'm going to just put on some music, some really light music, kind of meditative music, and I want you in the next hour while I'm gone from this room I want you to write any events in your life in that egg that have been traumatizing for you in your past. 
Now, I'm looking back at him, and I'm just thinking, okay, I know where you're going. I'm, I'm good with my past. I don't, you know, I don't need any whatever, inner healing or stuff. I mean, I'm fine. But he just said, no, I want you to do it. And so he walked out of the room, and he just left me there. And I sat there with my arms folded for about 20 minutes, like, no, I'm not doing this. And suddenly, tears began to roll out of my eyes. I mean, I, I, it was like uncontrollable. And I found myself reaching for that felt marker, and I just wrote three letters in that egg. J-I-M. Jim. As he walked back in an hour later, and I, I mean, there's a puddle of tears, and I am just broken, and he reads this, and he says, who is Jim? And I went on to describe how that when I was about 13 years of age, I worked for my dad. My dad had a restaurant in Lethbridge, and one day my mom and dad went away for the weekend, and so I'm a 13-year-old dishwasher in the back of his pizza restaurant that was opened out midnight uh, every weekend, and I'm making, you know, making some money. Well, the manager that my dad had hired for that restaurant was Jim. Jim was this 30-something young man, cool guy, you know. Uh, everyone liked him, uh, you know, just had an had a awesome girlfriend and treated me really, really great. And so at the end of the shift, Jim says, why don't you come back to my place and we'll have a couple beers with me and uh, my girlfriend. So I'm 13. I'm not saved. We didn't go to church. And I was like, well, sure, that sounds good. So we get back, and we sit around the kitchen table. We have a couple beers. Of course, 13 years of age, I'm like out of it at this point. And then he says, well, let's retire. You know, we're going to get up early in the morning for work. So they show me to a guest room. They go to their room, and I fall asleep until about, I don't even know, a short time later. I'm asleep, and I feel this presence in my, in my bed. And finally, as I kind of awaken out of my slumber, I realize it's Jim. And Jim is trying to take advantage of me physically. And I resist, and he says, no, don't resist. Everything's okay. Kept trying to talk me into this encounter. And I kept resisting. And finally, I literally just rolled out of bed, backed into the corner and pointed my finger at him said, and I shouted at him and said, don't you, don't you do this. And he got so angry, I mean, just brutal. And he looked at me and he said, if you tell anybody about this, I will kill you. And he left and he went to bed. And I got into bed and I was shaking with fear. I couldn't sleep the whole night. I, I, my eyes were open the whole night. Got up at, you know, 6 or 7 in the morning, got ready, came out into the kitchen, and there he was with his girlfriend. And he smiled and said, hey, good morning, Blaine. How you doing? Like nothing had ever happened. Friends, I didn't realize it till that moment with that counselor, but there wasn't a week that went by in my life that I didn't think about that. There wasn't a week in my life that I didn't think about how much I hated Jim. I, 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 would, have, I would have fantasies of seeing him and figuring out a way to, to end his life. I so despised what he had done to me as a child. And I remember that counselor 
walking me through forgiveness, letting that go, how to let that go, coming back a month later and saying, I still haven't let it go. Like, how can I let it go? But walking through God's forgiveness for that man in my life. It was one of the most difficult things I'd ever done because he didn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't ask for forgiveness, and I didn't want to give it, but I knew I had to because I knew it was poisoning my soul, that that hatred and that bitterness was a poison in my soul that I had to escape, and I was escaping into whatever I could escape in to get away from that hurt and that rejection. And that's why Jesus said, I want to heal your broken places and your broken hearts. That's why he said, I want to come in where there's been shame, where there's been guilt, where there's been hurt, and I want to heal you. Because if you hold on to the pain, if you hold on to the bitterness, if you hold on to the unforgiveness, it will eventually take you down. And it's a hard thing to do. Some of you have tried to let go. And you thought, well, I, I prayed a prayer and it didn't work. And like, you know, a week later, it's still there. Let me tell you something. It, it took me a year. It took me a full year. And not only did I have to forgive Jim, I, there were some others that I had to forgive. And, and I'll say this as well. There were some areas in my own life I had to forgive myself. There were things that I had done that I felt so much shame around and so much regret I tell people all the time, the last person to forgive Blaine Bartell was Blaine Bartell. We have to engage in that forgiveness and letting go of our past and trusting that the blood of Jesus can completely heal us, cleanse us, free us from every effect of past pain. And we see the beauty of healing when we have a, we have a cut. You know, we, we cut ourselves or we break a bone. I remember I, I broke... This, uh, this arm, when I was 17 in Calgary, doing, I was trampolining, fell on the, the arm, broke this arm in half. And they set it, put it in a cast. It took six months to heal, but finally it was healed. And the doctor showed me an x-ray from this arm and then this arm. And he said, do you see all the new bone that is formed, formed in this arm, Blaine? All that new white bone around the, the break? He said, that is new bone. He said, this left arm is actually stronger than your right arm today. That's the healing power of God. When we will just be immobilized long enough to let him wrap us in his grace and in his love and, and bring that restoration over time, we'll actually get stronger out of our pain than we were in it or before it. So where's God wanting to heal your past? And I, I'm... So excited that uh, Impact has a freedom ministry here for people that, that need to walk through that, that need to find healing and find hope and, and, and come out of past issues. But we can't stop there. We have to answer question number two. And this is where it gets exciting. Where are you going? Oh, I love this. Because the reason that... He wants to heal our pain as it's out of the soil of our past pain that he brings purpose, that our, that our pain is like a seed to bring forth purpose in our life, that he, he wants to, to give us 
a hope for the future. You know, the, the three greatest fears of, of, of every person is rejection, insignificance, and failure. And I want you to think about number two, insignificance. So many of us fear that we don't matter, that there's really no reason for us to be here. And if you believe in humanism and secularism and the current culture and what they're telling you, there isn't. We're just, you know, coming and going. Nothing really matters, but we do matter. We matter in our world. We matter in our church community. We matter in our family. We matter to our kids. We matter to our grandchildren. We matter to generations to come. God wants to define a future and a purpose for you that is beautiful. And it doesn't have to be famous. You don't, you don't, you don't have to like, you know, have your name in lights to have purpose. The culture so lies to us and says, man, you got to be a, a celebrity or you got to be a rock star. You got to be an athlete or you got to be a high tech businessman or businesswoman in order to really have any influence or purpose. And I just don't believe that. I believe that God can give you purpose and influence without any of that. Think about Jesus. You know how long his ministry lasted? Three years. Think about that. 36 months. The man ran from fame. Crowds would come and he said, I'm out. He'd leave crowds. He never wrote a book. Oh, he wrote the Bible. No, he didn't. Other people wrote the Bible. He never wrote a book. He never traveled more than 60 miles from his house where he was born. Or his barn. <laughs> Think about that. He never had a political title, didn't want one, hung out with the same 12 guys all of his life, just, had, and just a group of average men, you know, fishermen and tax collectors, and changed the world, changed the world, revolutionary. He was so revolutionary that they killed him. They said, we, we, and, then he, and, then, and then he was so revolutionary, he, he came back. Listen, your future is just simply saying, Jesus, your will be done and your kingdom come. What is it that you want to do in my life? And can I tell you something as I close? That you'll need to be really, really careful to open your eyes to the breadcrumbs and to the fingerprints of God in your life because he will give you clues as to where he is taking you and what he is doing in your life. And much of it will be born out of what he's healed in your past. I was, uh, I was getting out of rehab after my crisis hit my, my life and my family, and they, they sent me to actually tried to take my life. So I, I, I got on one of the busiest highways in uh, my city where I lived in Frisco, Texas, three lanes of traffic coming, and I started just walking into traffic. Like, and, you know, vehicles are swerving, and I'm, that's stupid, I know. It's a dumb way to take your life, but I, I've always been a risk taker. I, like, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out, you know, with something kind of fun. I don't want to just shoot myself. Like, so... <laughs> I seriously, it was just like this. This sounds great, great. So, within it was just God's grace. Within two minutes, there were six police cruisers. 
that surround me. Someone called 911, six cruisers. They put me in handcuffs. They, they put me on the ground. They realize what's going on, and they, they, they take me, in, and I get sent to rehab in Phoenix, Arizona from Tulsa. So I'm, I'm in rehab, and, and this is grueling. Rehab was grueling. I mean, 12 hours a day, all kinds of group work and therapy and stuff that I'd never done before. And some stuff, I'm like, this doesn't work. They, they gave me equine therapy. They, they sent me out in a field to literally talk to horses <laughs> and pet them. And I'm, yeah, well, this is certainly going to deliver me from pornography for the rest of my life. <laughs> Petting a horse. So... It was just weird, but there was a lot of good stuff. There was really a lot of good stuff and a lot of great, great counseling. But, the, you know, they, they're just trying stuff. You know, I mean, I think they get desperate, like, yeah, maybe that'll work. So, so I remember at the end, on the 28th day, so I'm just about ready to graduate. I'm so excited about finally going home. I'm so tired of this place, and, and it's just I, I can't keep up with everything they're trying to do in, in my life. And, and I'm sitting on a bench and honestly, friends, I'll just be honest. Uh, I'm sitting on a bench, and I bought a pack of cigarettes. And I'm, I'm, I was just so stressed out. I thought, I need something. Like, I don't have anything. Like, I, I just, so I, I buy a pack of Marlboros. And I'm just sitting on this bench, you know, this ex-preacher just smoking the Marlboros. And uh, almost praying I get cancer and die. Like, I just, I, I don't even want to live. And so I'm smoking a Marlboro, and up walks this man that had been in my group for all 28 days. And he's got his own issues, his own problems. He's a, he's a businessman. He's not even a Christian. But he says, hey, Blaine, can I sit down and have a quick conversation with you? And I said, well, sure. So he sits down, and he says, listen, I, I don't want to be weird or mystical or anything like that, but I, I, I can't get away from this. I keep hearing this. I keep seeing it. He said, I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. He said, I, you know, I'm just so glad you're here. You, you've meant a lot to our group. And he said, I just want you to know that one day you are going to do this. That's what he said. And I'm like, okay. I didn't know what this was. And so I said, well, what is this? And he, and he looked around and he just you know, this whole courtyard and all these buildings and all the places that this therapy was happening. He said, this, you're going to do this. It's all over you. And, and I said, you know I was a pastor, right? Oh, yeah, I know that. And you know the two things I hated the most pastoring? You know what they were? I hated groups, small groups, and I hated counseling. That's all they do here. I don't think I'm going to do this. You know what I like to do? I like to get up and preach and leave where I had full control of every conversation and I didn't have to be engaged in my own life. <laughs> and he said, well, you are going to do this. And I walked out thinking the guy is off his rocker. There's not a chance. Well, guess what I do today? I'm in groups every single week. I've got a group of 30 guys at my church that I'm working with. I've got a group online of 20 guys in my church. I'm coaching men one-on-one -on -one every single day during the week. That's all I do. And then the Lord drops in Lori's in my heart two years ago and says, I want you to build House of Resurrection. 
a facility that is residential for the body of Christ, for men, ministers, and marriages that are in sexual crisis, that are in infidelity, that are in marital crisis. And I want you to let them come and stay as long as they need to to find healing, the healing that Jesus can bring to broken hearts. Friends, the breadcrumbs and the, and the thumbprints and the fingerprints for your purpose are often in your past. I love how Lazarus comes out of the grave. And then, we don't know this unless you study history and scholarship on his future. But scholarship and history says that Lazarus was raised from the dead and then went on to become a pastor. 15 to 20 miles from Bethany. He became a pastor. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been in an Easter Sunday service with Lazarus. You know that man could preach some resurrection, right? I love how God will take our past and bring it into a future that we never imagined. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, your goodness, and your grace. I'm so... I am so blessed, Lord, to be healed of all the past pain and all of my past transgressions, and so blessed that so many uh, brought me forgiveness and grace. And I'm excited for what you're doing in this house and in this place, that, Lord, everything, every single human being has come through in this house, Lord. You've come through it with them, and you're walking with them. Even if they're still in the middle of it, you are there, and you're bringing us out of our lostness and into our foundness, truly finding who we are, the community that we're called to live in, and the grace that we're called to bring into this world. And so, Jesus, be present with us right now. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever in our lives. I pray for anyone that is maybe feeling like they're not even walking with Jesus right now. They're not living for Jesus. That somehow Jesus is just feeling like a long ways away right now. Lord, I pray you just reach out to them right now. Draw them in. Let them know how loved they are. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed right now. No one look around. Just for a moment. This will take 60 seconds. If you're here right now and you say, Blaine, I'm not sure right now that I'm even a Christian. Or maybe I I have fallen away from God. I once was serving Jesus, but I, I just haven't been lately, and I know I need to come back. If that's you, you just know that you need to move into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you don't even know what that looks like. Maybe you don't even know what all that entails, but you just know he's calling you. He loves you. He wants to bring you home as a son or a sheep or a daughter. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come up or do anything like that. I just want to pray for you in your seat right where you're at. But just let me know who you are. Just lift your hand right right now. Just say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me. I want to know Jesus or I want to come back to Jesus. One, two, three. Trying to see them all. Four. Five, six, anyone else? Once you put your hand up, you can put it down. Anyone else? 
you haven't raised your hand yet, you want to. I've seen at least six, almost, I think maybe seven. All right. Lord, you know each of those that lifted a hand right now. Sit right beside them right now, Lord. Lord, just sit with them right now in that seat. Wrap your arms around them. Let them know that they're secure in your love. That as they reach out to you right now with a just simple prayer under their breath, Jesus, come into my life, that you're there, right there in that prayer. In that prayer, it's, it's, it's that simple. Those that call upon the Lord will be saved. Thank you as they call upon you in this moment. They're reaching out right now that you're saving, you're delivering, you're setting free. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's some of you that, as I spoke on past parts of our life this morning, man, it hits you deeply because there are things that you honestly have never even talked to about another human being that have happened in your life. You've held on to that hurt. You've held on to that pain. In some ways, you've held on to rejection over it, confusion. Jesus just says he's there with you right now. He's never let you go. And if you'll just open up your heart, he is going to bring healing. But can I tell you the one thing I had to do, I had to do, is I had to get it out to somebody else. The reason that I lived in my addiction and my stronghold and my fear and my brokenness for 23 years is because I, I did it alone. We're never meant to live alone in this community called the church. That's why we are a communal gathering. So find somebody you trust, a pastor, a friend, a family member you trust, and just say, hey, this is, this is what's happened. This is what I'm fighting. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what went on in my life. And I don't know how to process it. And if they can't help you, they'll find somebody that can. They will be a faithful friend and help you find somebody to process that hurt and that pain with. But don't hold on to it. Don't try to do it on your own. Let Jesus use his beautiful community, his beautiful body to help bring wholeness in your life. Amen. Look up at me real quick. Before Pastor Joel comes back or whoever. Yeah, it's going to be Joel. All right. Uh, I'll be out at the table as you exit. Love to say hello to you. Um, there may be some, some friends here that I haven't seen in a long time. Love to uh, connect with you. We have a couple uh, products on our table that the only reason I share them is I, I think they'll be helpful to some of you. That's all. I really do think they could be helpful. So if you're a man or really a woman, in fact, I had a lady come up yesterday in our parenting seminar and said, man, this book just so impacted my life and opened up my heart to, to the Lord uh, in ways I, d- I didn't think uh, could happen. But uh, it's called Death by a Thousand Lies. And this is just my story, uh, my, my, my cover up, my crash and my resurrection out of, out of addiction and out of brokenness. And it's, uh, it's an easy read. Uh, I wrote it for men. So chapters, uh, chapters are three to four pages long. That's the first thing I do as a man. When I open a book, if, if I see chapters that are 20 pages, I'm done. Like I, I don't have that in me tonight. Like, 
So, and it's pretty, pretty good size print, and it's, uh, it's in story form, and so, but it's powerful. And in the, the, the final uh, 30 pages or so, I talk about the seven secrets uh, to, to resurrection. Um, powerful book. And then we have just released uh, something that's been in my heart for years. I am so concerned about the next generation. I've been in youth ministry all of my life. The average teenage boy right now sees pornography for the first time at age 11. That's when they're introduced to it. And it's because of the media. It's because of smartphones. It's because of computers and laptops. It is completely accessible. It is the only thing in our country, in in, in the Western world, that has gone from banned until you're 21. Okay, think about that, or 18. So you can't drive till you know, you're, well, 16 or 18. You, you can't drink alcohol till you're 18 or 21. You can't, you know, there's so much. It's the only thing we've ever, we've ever banned from, from young people. Literally in one day when the internet took over the world, we, we gave it to, to, to all of them free. No charge, free access, instant access. And it's destroying our kids. The guys that I'm coaching today who are seeing brokenness in their marriage, infidelity in their marriage, years of pornography addiction, to a man, almost everyone says, I started looking at this when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And the pornographers know it. Their goal is to addict our children so they'll have lifelong customers in their world. It's an awful thing. It's like a conspiracy to destroy, especially our young men. So it has been in mine and Lori's heart for the last several years to put together a preventive uh, curriculum for, for, for young boys. Boys from basically 12 right up to 21. So it's, it's called 30 Days of Purity of Heart. It's a four-week, 30-day journey for young men, but it's to be done with the mentorship and the support of either uh, a parent, uh, a family member, a friend, a youth pastor, maybe even an educator. All right? So 30 days. It's got four powerful, powerful videos. Uh, it cost us a total of $100,000 to put all of the media together for this. It is state-of-the-art, but more than that, it speaks to the heart of kids on why this is so important to have our guards up and to make sure that it does not come into the life of one of our boys and eventually destroy them. So I'd encourage you, if you're a parent of a, of a boy or you have a boy coming up in your family, get this. It, it is worth every single dollar. In fact, if you don't have the money for either one of these, we're so passionate about these resources, we give them away all the time. You just come by and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm short of cash right now or whatever. I'll put it in your hands, okay? All right. Love you guys. So good to be with you. Pastor Joel.